So, did you happen to get an update or a, an alert on Twitter today about the Death Valley radio program that was being broadcast? No, I did not. That sounds amazing. And I'm a, I'm a radio guy. What what was it about? American Horror Story. Well, yeah. I mean, you remember that before yeah. um, Red Tide, they had like the public radio situation and there was like yeah. little hints and programs. So they did a similar thing for uh, Death Valley today um, that I just happened to be like at a point where I wasn't in meetings or anything where I could like listen to it. Yeah. And so I tuned in when I was making lunch and it was it was a similar idea to um, what kind of they did with Red Tide, except it was taking place in... Um, you know, in the 1968 or 64, you know, wherever our opening scene. So it's like the 1960s. And 54. there's like, yeah. And there's like a commercial. Oh, I wrote down the wrong date, but it's like, there's a commercial <laughs> for, um, you know, there's a commercial for microwaves and it's talking about yeah, this yeah. new technology. But then like every so often in the broadcast, there's like a little bit of a, the, the air is like breaking up and you hear like some weird, like subliminal alien messages. Like, Ooh, uh, I love it. Yeah, so so it was, I think they're doing some creative things with content marketing this season, which I appreciate. Like, you know, it's not like there was anything vital to the story in it necessarily, but it was kind of fun. I think they mentioned Ike Eisenhower and stuff like that. So, like, you yeah. felt like you were kind of getting in the groove for this evening. Um, but, yeah, I think anyone who's interested could probably go look it up on their Twitter account or something, but kind of fun. I'm going to check that out. Did you ever see the movie Pontypool? I'm sure we've talked about it. It, it's... it does not sound familiar. So it's essentially it takes place at a radio station and there's some sort of like apocalypse happening outside the radio station. And the only way they know what's going on is people are calling in and like things are happening over the line. Um, and also there's like one or two people that end up getting into the radio station that like can kind of explain what's happening or like things happen to them while they're in the station. And you just follow the, the, the on air guy and I think his producer, uh, like hearing all this it's like it's amazing it's such a good movie i recommend it how do they do that as a movie it sounds like it should be like a podcast or something it should be a po- it could be a podcast there are some things that happen in the station that are much more visual but a lot of it is through your imagination of you're hearing some things happening from a caller explaining what they're seeing what's going on and then it's them talking back and forth in the studio about what they think's going on and and realizing that it's way worse than they thought it was, that the, the apocalypse is happening outside. It's amazing. I really recommend it. That does sound amazing. I admit that I have this existential fear a little bit or like this irrational fear of something happening to someone to them while I'm on the phone with them. Oh. Uh, it's horrible. So that might give me real nightmares. Um, okay. Well, promise me you'll watch it uh, in October. It sounds good. I'm already, I told you, I'm already in the jam. I'm listening to the audiobook of uh, Pet Cemetery right now, which mm. I have never read, um, which is, it's it's uh, narrated by Michael C. Hall from Dexter. Oh, and nice. It's, it's very yeah. good. Uh, Stephen oh. King says in his, even though most people say The Don't Shining like is it. the scariest book, he says that he thinks Pet Cemetery is the scariest book, so. Hmm. Well, you let me know. I will let you know. You're a Shining guy, so. I am, but I'm also just a Stephen King guy. So, <laughs> shall we begin? Let's do it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story. 
an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, here with my co-host. Chris Husted. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Death Valley, episode one, but really episode seven of Double Feature. Um, Tyler, how you feeling about pivoting to a brand new story? Yeah, man. Take me to your leader. Um, <laughs> there... There's a lot to talk about in this episode, and in some ways there's not. You know, it was, yeah. I think you and I were commenting before this, it was kind of a fast episode. There was a lot of commercials. It, it felt a little bit shorter um, than most, I mean, we've had some long episodes that have run like almost movie length. There was that one episode that was almost an hour and a half this season. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, this, maybe they had to cut some time off the back end or something. <laughs> I don't quite know. But uh, all sorts, I mean, even in that compact time, interesting things to talk about. Before we really dive in, of course, there's a couple things we got to cover in advance. First thing being, as always, we so much appreciate you all reaching out to us via email at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com with your thoughts and theories and concerns and anxieties and joys, all your things related to American Horror Story. We also enjoy you messaging us or posting to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash just American Horror Story, and we do our best to reply to everybody as much as we can um, but I have to say we got waves of people uh, phoning in about well mostly about their discontent with how about how red tide yeah ended. <laughs> you know there's social media collectively it seems like it wasn't taken in very well yeah you know some folks thought it was negated by how good the rest of the season was so they were like well maybe I didn't love the ending but like so far red tide's been awesome so Mm-hmm. I still think it was solid. Others were very frustrated and thought it was a major stumble that like it was such a bummer to have such a good little micro season and then not quite stick the landing. And then there were some who, kind of like you and I, are hoping that Death Valley will somehow still tie it all together in mm-hmm. a cohesive way. So I feel like there was definitely um, there was definitely this kind of feeling that you know overall. It wasn't quite as strong an ending as it could have been, but to that end, you know, maybe it's not really the ending, and that's why we have Death Valley to talk about today. Um, I think overall that there was this kind of consistent opinion that they probably shouldn't have gone back to L.A. in the last episode, that everyone yeah. kind of seemed to have wanted it to have ended in P-Town. So, mm-hmm. The P-Town yeah. story ended way too quickly. Yeah, so maybe that's the most consistent part of it all, but maybe we'll be back. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, before we dive into this episode, I also want to do two more things. First of all, I want to thank you to everybody who reached out and went to our buymeacoffee.com slash T-A-H-S page last week to give us, uh, throw a little coffee our way to help uh, with the server costs this season. That is awesome. It goes such a long way. You all are so generous. We really sincerely appreciate that. So thank you so 100%. much. 100%. And finally, before we dive into the Death Valley cold open, Chris, what are you drinking this evening? And is that hey, what man. I think it is? Hey, man, I finally did it. I finally did it. I have my mug full of cider with two shots of bourbon in it. Uh, and I'm uh, four, uh, four Roses bourbon. Mm-hmm. If, if it rained today, it feels like fall. Here I am. Captain Autumn over there drinking his cider. <laughs> you know, I, you went, I went to my local grocery store with the intent to purchase cider, specifically for this podcast, uh, yesterday only to find that they were out of it. So apparently everybody is having that same uh, <laughs> vibe right now because all of a sudden the weather has turned cooler and we're getting in this, you know, this is this is what really feels like American Horror Story season to me. You know, when, oh, yeah. when the temperature turns, there's a certain time, like when it's really hot out and American Horror Story is happening, it just something feels not quite right to me. So this, mm-hmm. is, this is when it's all really settling in. I am drinking 
Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, the beautiful winery of uh, Trader Joe's. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it used to be called Two Buck Chuck. Now it's like three dollars, probably. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, you know, it's really I, I don't, good stuff. I, I don't have the most refined taste. I think it's delicious. So it, it does. It's doing well for me. Love it. Now we need to dive into this episode. Take me to your leader. Uh, walk us through this kind of aesthetically unique cold open that we happen to get in this episode. Yeah, it's in black and white. I'm getting a lot of like Wizard of the Oz, uh, Wizard of Oz vibes on this, which I loved. Obviously because um, we're kind of in rural area and we see a, a little mini twister. But uh, we the cold open, we open with um, Dean Martin, that's Amore, getting thrown on the record player. There's a woman cooking a casserole, uh, dressed up very nicely. She's she's setting the table for dinner. And then the lights start to flicker a little bit uh, in her old school home, in her very 50s looking home. Uh, she looks outside, and it looks like they're in like in the middle of the rural desert. There's a little bit of mountain in the background, uh, and her kid is outside riding around in this miniature little fire truck with a with a bell on it. Super cute, very Americana. Uh, and we get a title card that says we're in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in 1954. Uh, and little Timmy or Timothy Timmy sees uh, Tommy maybe Tommy sees some dust devils forming outside, and those are just kind of like dirt storm funnel things whirlwinds um mom continues to set the table and the lights flicker again and then the record player just stops uh and then the record player starts going backwards then the clock starts going backwards uh, mom looks for her son and he is gone there's just like this spotlight on his empty fire truck um and all the while this is happening that the beautiful um uh invasion uh, science fiction-y sound that is playing uh, musically in the background. Um, she freaks out, tries to get on the phone to dial out for help, and uh, the boy is on the phone, and he says, don't be afraid, Mom. Uh, she all of a sudden gets pulled up to the ceiling, very uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then the boy walks in and he tells her to take his hand and his eyes just like turn completely white. Uh, and that's the end of kind of that, that sequence. And then we have the car, a car driving up at nighttime to the house and the, it's the dad I'm assuming. And he's calling out for his wife, Maria. Uh, and Maria is in the living room and she's floating with her eyes also white She's kind of like, like opens her mouth and says some sort of, makes some sound. And then she kind of just flicks her wrist at him in his direction and poof, his head explodes in black and white. And that, and then we cut to the credits. Beautiful. There's nothing like a good exploding head. Oh, we got a few of them. <laughs> we did. Buckle up. A couple things of note here that uh, Maria is played by the actress Rebecca Diane, Diane, D-A-Y-A-N. I'm not sure exactly how you say that, but who I believe is an American Horror Story newcomer. Watch somebody correct me on that. But that's my I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but she was in Halston, which last week mm. Ewan McGregor won a Emmy for. So, so another Murphy production. Yeah. So she had a pretty significant role in that, it looks like. Um, and so she's been around. I, I try not to do this because I don't want to like comment on you know people's appearances too much, but she's a very striking woman. She's very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's she's just a very like prominent 
bone yeah, structure just, and that kind of thing. You know? Yeah, I just I was very struck by by her aesthetic and the way she carries herself. It was kind of it was cool. For sure. Um, the other thing that this gave me vibes of too, and I would say that all this black and white kind of did I mean, I think it was supposed to feel like throwback, you know, throughout this whole opening. Um, and you know, all the parts that we had the black and white, but um, it kind of also felt like uh, Twilight Zone to me. You know, I thought I you just that... said black and white, but <laughs> like a black and white, but yes, Twilight Zone. I 100% got the same vibe. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's probably intentional too, is a, a nod to oh, yeah. the original throwback Twilight Zones. You've watched those before, right? Some of the ones with, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, who is the host of that? I'm trying to, I forget his name. Rob, Rob uh, Sterling. Rod Sterling? Yes. Anyway, um, that sounds right. But I can hear his voice so vividly. Uh, yeah, Rod, Rod Serling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would have because the Twilight Zone kind of had some of those similar kind of noises and stuff when it, in like the beginning. Yep. So, so that was a Next great opening. Is the Twilight Zone right? <laughs> um, what do you think of the new credit sequence? I thought it was good. I liked it. It was pretty cool. Um, I couldn't really decipher any differences sonically. Uh, about some changes in what they did and i've already kind of looked around and a lot of people are comparing the same soundscape of it to asylum which i find interesting because asylum also had a very uh um stylized uh of an era um vibe to it but it was pretty cool i mean we we just like any other american horror story season um i assumed they were going to change it for this one uh for the second part of the season um but we get the UFOs, we get the tractor beams, we get um, lots in the of, dark. Yep, uh, black and white. Uh, lots of tentacles. <laughs> um, we lots see tentacles wrapping around a human. Um, and like, babies and, and like this. Yeah, yep. And uh, a scalpel. Some creature coming out from between the human's legs, and this like alien fetus at the end. It was it was pretty pretty impressive and pretty gross. Um, so I liked it. Um, there's the one thing I, I I assume it's supposed to be somewhat of like a um, like the uterus inside you know the it looked like a mesh type thing where the uterine wall or or, or maybe the um, I won't say any more of these words because we've had comments of people saying like stop talking about those gross things like placentas and anyway and I just said it anyway it looked like some type of pregnancy situation. Yes, um, which is, I mean, this is an ongoing theme of, um, of so many seasons of American Horror Story where we get into people being pregnant. Um, it's almost at the point where it's like an obsession uh, of, you know, uh, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk at this point. So it's, it's you know, we're revisiting it once again, of course. A mm-hmm. um, couple other things to note here. We got our credit sequence with the different names. A lot of them we expected. Uh, a couple ones that are interesting is Leslie Grossman and Angelica Ross both pop up here. Now... The discerning person will say, we did not actually see them in this episode. <laughs> Are they still the same characters from Red Tide? Uh, is that a clue of some sorts? It might be. Uh, it might not be. We're not sure yet. But it is interesting. I cheated. I went to IMDb. <laughs> um, and as far as right now, Leslie Grossman does not have a character name. Her name is just there. Um, Angelica Ross does have a character name, but I don't know if that name is the actual name of the chemist. So, but there is a name for Angelica Ross. Are you going to tease what the name is? It's Theta. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. It's like Theta. 
like or theta like the greek like the greek letter. letter yeah okay interesting interesting yeah this episode was also written again by brad falchuk who has been consistently a writer for every episode this season i believe along with uh manny Cotto, who wrote the last two two or three episodes of red tide and then Kristen rydell who is uh, who was a writer on 911 so another uh, Ryan oh Murphy okay show. that's where she's from okay mm-hmm. yeah and then the director was Max Winkler, who directed The Naughty List in American Horror Story. That was one of your favorites. It was a good one. I thought it was a good one. It was very stylized, and you kind of see some of that carrying over to here. Also, Nico Greedham was in that, who played yes. Cal in this episode. So, you know, they kind of still had that connection as well. Max is good for shooting the college age young people. That's right, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute, I imagine. <laughs> but uh, first of all, before we get there, let's talk about Palm Springs, 1954. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Neil McDonough, who we talked about, you know, this guy's been in a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, he's in one of those, you know, memes where it's like this actor's yeah. and everything. Can you name him? Uh, yep. You know, uh, <laughs> Band of Brothers is one of the things that comes to mind for me. But he plays Dwight D. Eisenhower, old Ike. And he's out golfing in what looks like maybe like Palm Desert or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I imagine somewhere not too far from Albuquerque. And I oh, think he, he's in Palm Springs. So oh, he's in Palm. Yeah. They say, oh, yeah. they say Palm Springs. Did yeah. I say that? Yeah. Okay. Maybe yep. I did. Um, and the CIA shows up. The CIA shows up to tell him uh, basically that, or maybe it's the Secret Service shows up to tell him that a UFO. Well, they don't say UFO. He but says it's something. Implied, something yeah, was shot down. In American um, airspace, yeah. And he needs to go take care of it. As he's packing up, we learn that Sarah Paulson is playing his wife. Mamie, yeah. Mamie Eisenhower. Uh, love her accent here, by the way. She's great. Fantastic. Oh, so great. To, this was the point of the story, too, when I was when I was like, all right, like right, we're, we're starting a new story. These new characters, even new actors who I don't know, or I'm not, I'm not familiar with in this season. So seeing Sarah Paulson playing Mamie was, even though she's briefly in this episode, was just a warm welcome. Like, okay, I'm still in. Totally. Um, and then she has a line, too. She says, we bo- she's like kind of questioning him about what he's going to do. And she has this line, we both know not all of your secrets have to do with national security. I had two thoughts here. The first one is, mm. I looked it up, and apparently that uh, Dwight Eisenhower had a relationship, or many pre- like imagine, believe he had a relationship with Kay Summersby, who was his, sec- yep. his British secretary in World War II. But I couldn't help but also think here that I'm sure we all noticed the interspersed through this episode were uh, previews for the new um, American Crime American Story crime about the Clinton scandal. And so you have to believe that there was a little bit of a wink and a nod to Crime Story, which uh, Sarah Paulson is in also, correct? Yeah, Linda Tripp. That's right. Yeah. So so you had to think that that was connected to a certain extent. It's a little bit of like I liked it. internal advertising. It's kind of meta. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> So they, then he uh, Dwight heads out to the desert of Albuquerque, where they come upon you know a destroyed spaceship um, that apparently has a body in it. They, he kind of peeks under there and says it looks like a child. We don't get a view of it at this point in time. Um, but then he kind of gets called over by this other s- soldier, and we see that hiding in the shade of a nearby cactus is Lily Rabe, uh, with strange symbols scarring her back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, who are you? And she says, my name is... Amelia, Amelia Earhart. Earhart. So, did we know that she was going to be Amelia Earhart before this? I don't know I don't that I had so. heard any teasers of that. Um, of course, Amelia Earhart is famously known for having disappeared in flight over the Pacific Ocean while she was trying to become the first woman to circumnavigate the globe. 
so and the person she keeps referencing, I think it's like Fred or something like that, is was her flight partner on that mm-hmm. journey. Um, but, you know, she tells the story she was looking for an island. The island didn't show up. There's all sorts of theories because n- no wreckage was ever found of Amelia Earhart. So every, mm-hmm. there's a, many theories about what happened to her and, uh, you know, because her disappearance was a big deal at the time. Um, I think they say it happens in, in, that she disappeared in 1937, which is also why it's kind of fascinating that she hasn't aged at all. Mm-hmm. Not only has she not aged, we find out that she is two months pregnant. So this pregnancy theme starts out pretty soon. Um, also, Lily Ray pregnant again in part two. True, too true. Uh, she tells the story, too, of being abducted. She talks about all these tests they conducted on her. Um, and then she like really quickly gets confused about where she mm-hmm. is, the time difference, starts to panic. So it's kind of hard to tell where her mental state is at this time. But right about at the, you know, right then they're like, okay, well, instead we're going to go dissect this alien corpse. Um, what did you think of the alien body they had on the table? Gross, corny. I mean, it lo- it looks like a '50s version of what you would think an alien would look like, or how they were drawn back then. Kind of silly. I kind of I kind of appreciated that though. I you know? I, oh, I did too. I agree. I was like, they're sticking with the aesthetic of what that time was like and what people kind of believe an alien would look like. Right. And as they lift up the chest cavity, they see that it's like empty, like it's a shell that was shedded, which is kind of fascinating. Um, And then the lining of the stomach like jumps off (laughs) out of the chest and starts uh, suffocating the people in there. This reminded me of Independence Day. Yes, but also uh, it's 100% referencing Alien. Alien too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The original original face, 100%. So we're getting some nods to past Alien movies. Totally. And then their heads explode too. So we get the whole wave of things that happen. (laughs) Uh, And then all the heads are exploding as the housewife, Maria, who we saw in the opening sequence, comes in, um, you know, I I thought this at this point, I'm curious if you did do, my thought was, okay, the alien body we saw was the shell of what was is now the you know the housewife this is the new vessel this alien took was that your interpretation as well i didn't know i thought it was just you know another it, I, I could see that i didn't think about it that deeply actually that it could have been the like the 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 being that starts doing like moving from one to the next uh and until it takes over the maria but I guess I could see that. Yeah. Of course, Dwight Eisenhower begs. Uh, Just like Maria. Bill Pullman did in uh, in uh, Independence Day. Yeah. Begs, begs her to stop and she says, no, it is you who will listen to us. I love it. Cut love scene. It. And then we have kind of a hard transition. Yeah. Um, in tone, in aesthetic. So in I was style. fast forwarding here on my DVR. Did you get like a, a, a date or year or anything? I didn't want to make sure I didn't miss it. I didn't see a date. I just wrote down jump in time and then just paying attention to the conversation. Obviously, it goes into technology and their phones and stuff. So I'm assuming it's supposed to be somewhat present. Yeah. And he talks about having like uh, interned for Facebook or something. Um, Cal does. Right. So we know it's pretty modern. I so, looked at their phones, too, to see like what, you know, they're not flip phones. They're definitely like regular size smartphones that look current today. So at least, you know, 2016 to twenty. 21 mm-hmm. we have so that, i mean it is kind of a, a little bit jarring because all of a sudden we're in a modern restaurant and we're kind of getting these like profiles of these four uh i imagine like high school friends maybe even childhood friends um who all went off to their posh ivy league universities and have come back to enjoy a summer together um 
they all kind of have their own thing going on. Um, what did you think about like the way they did like the forensic file cards for each one? I mean, I, I like that they were kind of they looked like case card uh, case files. That that was interesting. Um, obviously, it sets it up as something's going to happen to these people because they're being studied. Um, I don't. I mean, this this kind of reminds me of um, um, the American Horror Stories episode that uh, Max did. Uh, the naughty what was list. It called the naughty list. Uh, and also reminds me of video games too, when you introduce your characters and you get their little like bios, their quick bios behind them. It, it was funny. It was interesting, but a definitely very different tone than what we just uh, were watching. And I didn't like the abrupt change as yeah. much. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I sat in for it and was like, let's do this. Yeah. It was um, a hard pivot. Um, you know, we get, it went into comedy. It went into comedy more so than it. The, it, the previous it did a little bit in a way that was like okay this is just like to your point just like a very different tone um we get cal who is played by nico greedham who as we said was in american horror stories in the naughty list we get kaya gerber who is cindy crawford's daughter as we have talked about in our american horror stories uh reviews as well because she is also an american horror stories veteran um and then we have troy lord who's played by isaac powell cole who's in the new dear evan hansen movie yeah, uh, he's a big, big, uh, uh, fairly famous uh, Broadway guy. Mm-hmm. As we know, so many of uh, people, yep. Reimer, who brings in R. And then finally, we have Jamie Howard, who uh, is played by Rachel Hilson, who is on the show or has been on the show. This is us. And she, um, we know at the, from the beginning that she is coming off of a breakup. And that's the main story we get here. Um, two, like Basically, the conversation surfaces two big things up front. One is that Cal and Troy are fucking. <laughs> yeah. They make a big trip <laughs> Very graphically. <laughs> but yeah, they describe their whole journey. <laughs> um, and we learned that Jamie uh, basically had a sexual experience that uh, felt like acid on her skin, yeah. um, which it sounds like is a real condition that I had not heard of before. Had you? I hadn't heard of it on your skin. I know that there's a, an allergic reaction that is a condition, but... The way it was described to me, I didn't know if... I mean, I'm sure... I, I I think it's... Anyway, I hadn't heard about it being that severe. Yeah. And then, of course, Kaya Gerber's character is studying... I think she's studying to become a doctor, which, mm-hmm. you know, is made pretty clear a number of times throughout this episode. Uh, but it very quickly, you know, goes into... They're all on their phones. We kind of... I think we start to tease out kind of the main thing we're, we're leaning technology towards here. Theme. Yeah, exactly. The technology theme. And um, Kendall starts lecturing them about the detriments of technology. And we get this little, um, you know, backstory on her professor at Harvard who gave this, te- you know, how tech has advanced so much in the past 50 years, which I think for all of us is supposed to be a little bit of a clue that, hmm, it's been roughly 50 years since uh, the events in the, you know, cold open happened. Um, we also know that like <laughs> she has a relationship with this professor too that we kind of see happen. Um, kind of funny how they decide to portray Harvard here. Um, but you know, uh, he's he's it reminded a, me of Animal House a bit. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a cool professor. Like yeah. the professor smoking weed, like getting with the students, and it's just it's so inappropriate that I don't think that would really, that doesn't really fly. Yeah. Not, he, not, not so openly. Yeah. He's the cool guy who's sworn off of technology. 
Um, but because of that influence, she convinces everybody else that they're going to take a camping trip without their phones. Uh, what they call a quote unquote Luddite summer. Yep. Um, so they go out into the desert. It's definitely more like glamping than traditional camping. Uh, not clear who set up this tent that apparently is like way the hell out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I think we all get the sense that they have a lot of money. Their families have a lot of money. So, you know, they, they could send a advance party to do this. Um, for a while, they just kind of hang out and be hot. <laughs> this is like... Just, yeah. Just this is a very attractive group of, of young college students. I mean, this is kind of the indulgence, like the same kind of thing that Max Winkler did with the Naughty List, where it's just like let's just film their bodies laying out in the sun for a while and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think like on day two, they said they're going to go look for a pond to swim in. That um, Troy is pretty convinced that he saw the day before, uh, but alas, it is not there. And they smell something gross. And this is maybe my favorite part of this in color uh, portion of the Uh episode is when they find all these mutilated bulls that appear to be like sliced straight in half without any blood. Um, That was pretty gross and and intriguing. And then like for whatever reason, you know, Kendall goes to pet one of the bulls and it's I like comes back to life and she kind of flips out. But for me, this was maybe my favorite part of this latter half of the episode. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I think they call it bisected bovine, which I like. Um, yeah, whole, a whole a whole herd of cattle just slaughtered by getting cut down the middle. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of a lot of horror movies that I've done that where, where people get sliced down the middle. And it's like, it's very graphic and gross, but ooh, it's such a good effect. Yeah, it was cool. I liked that part. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, they, they freak the hell out and they run back as quickly as they can, pack up all their stuff. Uh, but like clearly, I, I don't know if like they took a long time packing up or if they're just so rural, but it gets dark fast. It does. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they're, as they're driving out, it's, you know, they can't find their way. The car shuts off. Everything goes silent. Then in traditional, you know, alien movie fashion, a blinding light from a flying saucer, mm-hmm. of course, uh, or at least I think we're pretty sure it's a flying saucer. And we see, like, a figure walking towards them. Not clear who the figure is. Is it Amelia Earhart? Is it Maria? We don't tell in this clip. It's just a silhouette, basically. Maybe it's the alien figure. And then tentacles, like, begin to choke them all out in the car. Mm-hmm. They wake up again, uh, but Jamie is missing. Uh, and, and they're all in different seats. They're all in different seats, and they find her, like, stumbling around outside of the car. Um, and then all of a sudden they're back home, and, you know, for whatever Kendall has said, she's going to call her professor to like ask his permission to Google some things. And we find out he's kind of a manipulative culty asshole. And he's like, well, if you have like, he basically just like shames her um, for, and then like tells her that she needs to eat healthy things, even though like, let's just say that like Kai Gerber is like as thin as a rail too. So like, I know (laughs) she's yeah. Um, she doesn't need your permission to Google something, right? But but, I, I, but shows how much of a uh, a force he is over her. Exactly, and this is when she starts to talk about this thing, which I'm sure we're going to hear more about this, like time loss and aliens connection, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. think is what is supposed to be represented by them being in different positions in the car, like the aliens put them in in different seats. You know, they don't remember having been gone. Um, unclear how long they were gone for. I mean, it must not have been gone for so long that. You know, anyone thought they were missing, so maybe it was all in the same night, but hard to say exactly what happened. But right, pretty quickly, we see them all start puking all afternoon. You know, Jamie kind of recalls having been pregnant when she was 19. 
And so she's experienced this before and it's like, yeah, these are the symptoms. Um, but the boys are sick too. We soon find out. We get this other very graphic description of Cal having had Giardia in high school. Um, but they take test two and they are Boom. also both pregnant. Oprah special. You get a pregnancy. You get a pregnancy. Indeed. Everyone's and, pregnant. Uh huh. And Kendall seems to very readily believe in abductions. Immediately that's where her mind goes. Um, you know, there's some pretty classic abduction signs here. So <coughs> she's predisposed. But um, yeah, that's where the episode ends is with everybody pregnant and we're not sure what's going to happen next. Man, I don't know. How'd you feel about it? We kind of had two very, I mean, they were obviously connected, but it was two very different vibes happening here. Yeah, it's hard to get this as the first episode, I think, in the second part of Double Feature, just because we are getting two stories after we just had one big one. So getting two short stories, it felt like this should have been an American Horror Stories. Um, knowing American Horror Story, obviously we're going to probably bounce back and forth a bit more and we'll find the connection and I'm looking forward to that. Um, it, I think, you know, it, it it's hard to get invested in new characters after just spending a lot of time with some really amazing ones and seeing them done wrong. It's hard to get excited about new ones. Um, hence why I mentioned just at least seeing Sarah Paulson, the actress in this episode was nice because it felt a little more familiar. Um, that being said, I think the front part of this episode was fantastic. Well, maybe not fan-fantastic, but it was it was good. It was interesting. It pulled me in enough after my initial reluctance to connect with the story. Um, and I thought the cold open was fine. It was just so different that I wasn't ready for that. But after they went to the desert to look at the body and they found Amelia Earhart, then I was... And then I found myself very connected into it and I wanted to uh, find out what happens. Um, the, the hard cut, the abrupt cut to the present or the future from the fifties was harder to digest. Um, I was fine. It felt like an episode of American horror stories uh, and it was enjoyable for what it was. I think Kaya Gerber was a better actress in this than she was as Ruby Um it's hard. It's always hard to believe for gorgeous. Um, I was about to say WB or CW uh, teen looking people uh, as all Harvard or Ivy League elite fancy people, but they all were charming enough. I think that they did a decent job. I wasn't really put off by them, so it was fine. It was fun. It was just two different movies. <laughs> Um, and if I want to watch one, I want to finish it, uh, as opposed to watching half of each of them. Um, I mean, again, overall, I think it was fine. What do you think? I, I totally agree with you. I feel like we almost got a double feature within a double feet within double. Feature. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I think you make a really good point. Like we were almost introduced to so many new characters and we all, we know we only have four episodes. Um, I think that we did a little ourselves a little bit of a disservice by having, you know, one half of the episode be in the past and one episode be in the future. It's like we only had half It wasn't even that. It was like, yeah, it was like a quarter of an episode in the past and the rest of it was in the future. But it was yeah. It felt like that. But. Well, and yeah, and I I feel like honestly the characters that I was like most kind of in, interested in were like uh Dwight Eisenhower and Mamie Eisenhower and like you know, Amelia Earhart and stuff are the ones that like I wanted to kind of get to know more, and I was like less interested in, you know, the you're, you're, the, the hot college students. Um, 
Not that, I mean, and again, no, no, de- like not even to degrade their acting. I thought their acting was fine. It's just like that yeah. wasn't really the story I wanted. And I thought the pivot, I thought the transition could have been smoother. Maybe it was like intended to be you know, abrupt like that, but it felt clunky in a way that I was like, I was expecting to get more after we went to commercial um, with the Dwight Eisenhower and Maria exchange. And then all of a sudden we don't go back to it at all. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, that said, I mean, I think it's intriguing that we all of a sudden have four pregnant, uh, people and two of them are, are males. So, um, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll give my ratings first. So let's do bisected bovine. I, that's, I was, once we saw that in the, in the episode, I was like, that's what Tyler and I should rate it as. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So here's what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to bisect my ratings too uh, and average them. Okay. So I think that the first part of this episode, the black and white, I actually thought it was like a really cool aesthetic. I really liked the black and white. It had mm. this like Twilight Zone or like uh, TV if you watch, you know, stuff that was from the 60s kind of vibe to it. Um, I thought it was awesome. I, I thought it was a four. I thought it was solid and I was excited to learn more. I will say the modern part again felt it did. I think you're spot on that it felt like an episode of American Horror Stories, which is not to insult it at all, but it's just to say it kind of it had a very tonal um, pivot, and I think that I was not as excited about what's happening there. Um, for me, that part was probably a three. I think the the bisected finds was my favorite part of that episode, um, and there was some humor to it and stuff, but like I don't know, there was more like creepy horror stuff that was happening in the front end of this episode that, uh, in a throwback way that I liked more. Uh, so I, 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 yeah, I give the back end of this episode a three averaging them. I give the episode three and a half bisected bovines. How about you? All right. Um, I'm going to be similar. I'll do the same thing. I will rate the first and then the first part and the second part and, and average them. I will give the first part also a four for all the reasons you gave. I appreciate the aesthetic. I love, the tone of it, um, I was skeptical going in, but about five minutes into it, I, I was I was interested in the story. I found it I found it fascinating because it was a little different. Just just like how we had the beginning of Red Tide, um, it just felt a little different than some of the other some of the silliness and the campiness that goes on in American Horror Story, which I do appreciate. Um, but it was nice to take a different approach. Uh, after that, the cut to the the college students. It was fine. I it was like it was actually fu- there were funny moments. I thought, did I laugh out loud? No, but I chuckled maybe internally and said, oh, that's a good line. Or you know, it wasn't it wasn't over the top that like maybe we got when we watched Scream Queens, um, and the characters were not well fleshed out by any means. They all gave who their character beats were through exposition at dinner, <laughs> which I always find sort of frustrating. But it's a quick way to get everyone up to speed about what their storylines are. Um, I would give it a three and a half. So I'm going to average it as the whole episode is a 3.75 hmm. uh, bisected bovine. So that puts us by my calculations at 7.25 bisected bovines. So there's going to be a bisected bisected bovine in there. Exactly. <laughs> so if you were mapping this out in like a chart, There'd be a quarter of a, three quarters of a bovine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, um, I think that I'm obviously intrigued to keep watching. I'm curious to see how this all ties together. I'm optimi- I'm more optimistic than I was previously that it is going to tie together. I will say coming out of this episode. 
Um, I think that by connecting it to the present, they give a much more, excuse me, they give a much more clear path to connecting it to Red Tide. So that's interesting. Um, maybe there's other hints that'll they'll be like, oh, that really, you know, but I don't feel like I saw anything that was like, oh, that has to do with Muse pills or anything just yet. But, yeah. you know, hard, hard to say. Um, I'm looking forward to next week. We have three more episodes to tell this story. There's a lot to be done in that time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do believe... a lot of ground to cover. Did you watch the preview for next week? I did. Yeah, I did. So we do flash back to the, mm-hmm. uh, the Eisenhower times. So that, mm-hmm. that's good. I, I imagine it'll be... A, I wonder if it's just going to be a similar thing where every episode of this is like half in the past, half in the future, you know? Well, we'll see how... I don't know what other characters we're going to get in the future, but um, I hope we get a few more characters in the past because that just seems pretty cool. Didn't we didn't we preview at the beginning that like John Carroll Lynch and maybe Matt Bomer were both uh, mapped Ooh, to Red Tide? I feel like that was the case in our preview pod. Uh, I'll have to go back and check on that. I feel like at the very least, John Carroll Lynch definitely is. So oh. I have seen Cody Fern's name. On Cody the Fern. List. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cody Fern as well. So we have other people who are going to pop up too. Um, we'll just have to see how they fit into everything that's happening. If they're going to be in the past or the future, uh, hard to say. Yeah, but it's hard to say. Not a lot to talk about in this episode. I feel like a bunch of things happened, but you know, nothing really to compare it to yet. And we're kind of setting stuff up. You know, that's what it feels yeah. like. Setting stuff yeah. up. Um, yeah, uh, I you know I will say that I would love to hear everyone else's thoughts on this episode. So please reach out to us as always at this American Horror Story at gmail or by you know sending us a Facebook message or commenting on our posts at facebook.com slash this American Horror Story. And as always, we really appreciate it if you go and rate us or review us on whatever podcast platform you listen to. That's how more people find the podcast. That's how we continue to grow our American Horror Story uh, fan community. Chris, where can people find you between now and next week? I will be on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. How about you, Tyler? You can find me on uh, both of those platforms as well. Um, and that's where I'll be hanging out until we figure out what's happening with Death Valley in next week's <laughs> episode. I hope everyone out there is starting to get those fall temperatures, enjoying themselves. Uh, I have anticipate having some cider in hand by next week. So, until then, as always, happy hunting. Happy hunting.